0: listening to Tasting Together with Andre Crew and Maroki Tong. I don't even know if we can call the show what we used to be called. I know,
1: Andre, but until uh, the day they come clapping down on us with thunder and lightning, I suppose we can ask for forgiveness. We did ask for
0: permission. <laughs> we tried. We did try. I mean, how much of the story do we want to get into? But our show was abruptly cancelled on 640 Toronto, while we were three quarters done, uh, an episode that was literally ready to go.
1: Yeah, so uh, guys, welcome to Tasting Together version two, now here to stay on a <laughs> podcast near you. Oh, wow, that rhymed.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess they can't cancel us until, I don't know, the federal government messes things up with podcasts like they have with Facebook and Instagram.
1: Yeah. Well to give everyone, I suppose, like the most cold notes of this you know, the most cold notes of the skinny. And since I always say takes them together here to bring you the skinny on food and drink in Toronto, and I suppose given that our show was about food and drink, it's food and drink news, it's some yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, they had a change in leadership over at AM six forty and um through that turnover, um, our show ended up being taken off air. And uh, here we are. We decided that after we kind of licked our wounds a little bit, that <laughs> hopefully, and, and you know, some very lovely words from several of our listeners, yes. we decided that we should continue on, that just because we are taken off the airwaves, um, they can't take the airwaves out of us.
0: <laughs> something like that. Well, I mean, it's a thing too. Like, uh, we're, we're seeing the direction that broadcasting is going and, um, you know, I guess it's, we've become We've almost become memes of ourselves or tropes of ourselves. Which just like, you know what, I'm just gonna go start a podcast. And it's just like, well, you know what? We're gonna go start a podcast.
1: <laughs> we're gonna go start a podcast where occasionally maybe a swear word may now enter our conversation <laughs> and it doesn't need to be bleeped out.
0: Oh man. Or,
1: you know, I think, you know, we're also excited to be able to um of course always share the the what's good and going on in the GTA. But I think uh, you know, as you and I are both food tourist lovers and wine and drink tourist lovers we can share some of the great spots that we travel to or want to travel to in more detail and hopefully that will help with other everyone's um either arm travel plans or other plans for the future as well
0: i think that's fantastic everything you just said is fantastic
1: Yes. Well, I think we should just roll right into it, Andre. I know we mentioned that we had a couple of interviews that we did record, and they are still very timely because uh, Mid-Autumn Festival is just around the corner, which is one of my favorite, favorite holidays um, on the lunar calendar of the year, mostly because I adore eating mooncake, and it's thousand-calorie goodness.
0: And I know nothing about mooncake because I have never celebrated a mid autumn festival but you were kind enough to line up a really inspirational story um the founders and owners of waitaki did i say that wrong waitaki waitaki Waitaki. Waitaki. how'd i do there
1: yeah waitaki
0: waitaki chef joe to talk about uh his journey from hong kong to canada and making mooncakes
1: I'm super excited to be joined by the founder and head baker of Waitaki or Waitake in Cantonese with us, Baker Joe, because he makes some of the most delicious treats for Mid-Autumn Festival. And I'm really excited for him to share all his skills and all his um, knowledge about the snacks and traditions with us. So, Baker Joe, welcome to Tasting Together. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, I think we should just dive right into the big question. I, I know you have an amazing story for why you have this love for baking and pastry. So what, like, where did this journey start from? Where did your love for baking and pastry come from? And how did it bring, uh, bring about white Uh,
2: in, in Hong Kong, I was a baker. When I come to Toronto, I'm looking a lot of a uh, bakery in here not so many, uh, traditional Chinese bakery or Chinese snack. So I make the traditional bakery in Toronto and at that, and at that time, not so many here.
0: Talking a lot about the, um, the mid autumn festival and mooncakes in particular, uh, what is important about the mooncakes and the mid autumn festival?
2: Uh usually we make the traditional uh moon cake in, in Toronto such as uh the lotus seed with yolks and less uh with full and, uh, and mixed less. Especially the uh mooncake with uh yolk. It looked like the full moon. So everyone loved those and moon cake most.
1: I actually didn't know that the yolks were supposed to represent the full moon. I just love the yolks. I always only buy the moon cakes with the yolks, but I didn't realize the full yolks actually meant the full moon as well. So that's actually some symbolism that I didn't know about. What is the meaning behind the uh, mixed nuts?
2: A mixed is a traditional moon cake. Yeah. Usually uh, in Hong Kong and China, a lot of people love those uh, mixed nuts. Some like to put some hams inside. Yeah.
1: Oh, ham as well.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very common in, in Hong Kong and in China. Those are
1: mm-hmm.
2: very expensive ones in Hong Kong.
1: Oh, maybe that's why I didn't get the mixed nuts ones as well. <laughs> I just got the yolk. Um, I know you make these like animal-shaped mooncakes as well, like the jade rabbit and the pig. Um, why would you pick those animals for mid-autumn festival?
2: I like I like those uh, mooncake, uh, especially the rabbit and the piggy, because uh, here's not so many people make that kind of things. So when I saw them in in our country, I, I would like to make that kind of things in here, so everyone can enjoy it. Especially this year is the rabbit year of the rabbit. So in this year, yeah. very common. For the rabbit. And it's a, for a long, long time ago, is a story about talking about a, a lady going to the moon with the rabbit. So at Mid Autumn Festival, even though a rabbit is almost the it same as ever presented as a Mid Autumn Festival.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. um
1: Yeah. Now- it actually helps explain the rabbit to a lot of people because I think a lot of us see like, images of the rabbit around mid-autumn festival a lot but i think not a people not a lot of people know the mythology around it
0: yeah for yeah. sure um a question i have is when you look at the the mooncakes, like they're very beautiful with you know very detailed designs on them how difficult is it to make a moon cake and how long does it take to make one
2: uh, usually we make the moon cake almost uh, at least a few days. Because uh, when we make it, we is, uh, make sure the inside the temperature and the outside temperature are the same. So after we bake it, at least take one to two days to cool down and then pack it. Yeah. So almost a few days to make one moon cake. Yeah,
1: I can see that because I know when from watching your videos, you do a double glaze. So you glaze it once and you bake it and then you glaze it again. And one thing I didn't tell you, Joe, so we have a family friend who is a baker um, or a chef as well. And he's and um he taught us how to make moon cakes one year. And it was the hardest thing we have ever made in our entire lives because you have to measure the ingredients so carefully. And I remember you have to wrap the casing and then you put it into the mold. And every time I pushed into the mold, because I didn't weigh the inside, I, because I didn't weigh the lotus paste or whatever properly, it always burst out of the seams. So I made the ugliest mooncakes ever. They are nowhere near as beautiful as yours. I will tell you that. Um, Joe, what is your favorite mid-autumn festival tradition?
2: If even, uh, in, in our family. At at the Mid Autumn Festival, we all, the family member, come together, and have a big dinner. And after the dinner, we have the, we ate the mooncake, and lot of the food, yeah. And we cut the mooncake into four pieces, so everyone can share the different kind of a mooncake. So it's a very joy, very joyful at that time. Same as the uh, Thanksgiving here, every family member come to a home and enjoy it.
0: So you talked about how the way you eat the mooncake is to cut it into four pieces. Yeah. Why is it important to cut a mooncake into four pieces before you enjoy it?
2: Because it can share with other, other people, oh, other man. family member.
0: <laughs> I'm not and... usually big into, into sharing sweets, but I might have to make an exception here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's funny because I have shared mooncakes with so many of my friends and they would pick up the entire mooncake and just stick it in their mouth and eat it all the time. And I've never seen mooncake eaten by anyone except North Americaners in that way. And I actually always wondered whether there was any sort of meaning to cutting it. And I think because family is so important to mid autumn festival, um, that the, the idea of sharing is always super important.
0: Chef, well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, I guess, school me a little bit more on Mooncakes and the Mid-Autumn Festival. I really appreciate you giving us the time.
2: You're welcome.
1: And you can definitely, um, check out their Instagram, Waitaki, or go on their website where you can order their goods for a contactless pickup from the Scarborough location. Or you can actually check out, um, some of the locations around sort of Markham or Toronto, such as Freshway Food Market or Kiss My Pans in downtown or TNT across the GTA where they'd sell some of their products as well. So yeah, Joe, thank you so much for joining us and, um, Zhong Cao to you.
0: Thanks a lot. Well, Maroki, um, I'm really curious about what your family traditions are for the mid-autumn festival in the last minute we have left here.
1: Yeah, obviously growing up in suburban, rural, Kitchener-Waterloo, there wasn't much of a community for me to often celebrate with. So, a lot of times my family and I, we had the uh, traditional paper lanterns. I think my grandparents would bring them to us from Hong Kong and we would treasure them and try and use them year after year. And we'd put a little candle inside and light up the lantern and actually just do circles in our backyard. And then we would often take out the telescope and look out the moon. And I actually have this memory that when my sisters were too young, my mom didn't want to put a candle in their lantern so she would throw a flashlight inside and probably destroy the lantern because it was made out of paper. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's too funny. You talked about the 1,000-calorie mooncake as we threw to the interview. It now makes sense to me why you would cut it into four.
1: I mean, from a completely health-based perspective, you are right. But, I, you know, they actually do make um, – if, if you guys will check out Baker Joe's and Waitaki's website, the little rabbit ones and the piggy ones are smaller. So maybe I'll only cut them in half or maybe I'll even <laughs> eat the whole thing. Or I'll just work out more, um, I will say. Maybe sometimes it's just worth a cheat day
0: i am actually looking forward to to grabbing some mooncakes this year just having a better understanding of the process a bit of a better understanding about the festival i'll probably give you a phone call when that takes place um you know living in hamilton it is a bit of a challenge because the cultural diversity isn't quite the same as it is when living in toronto but we do have some really great um chinese grocery stores not a lot of them certainly not the variety in toronto but I'll, i'll head down there um I guess last week, if you're looking at this, we recorded. It. Anyways, a little time travel. I'll make sure I get some mooncakes this year.
1: Yeah, or I'll just have them make sure I get you one from Baker Joe himself.
0: Ooh, that sounds even better.
1: Yes. Now, it's so interesting, Andre, because I used to always say coming up after the break, but I suppose (laughs) in a podcast format, unless we end up with some uh, sponsored advertisements on our podcast, we don't really have breaks. Or I could do a little diddly-do and be like coming up after this little diddly-do. We have a cool thing coming up. But what is coming up after our non-break break, break, Andre?
0: Yeah. I think it's going to take us a little bit to get into the rhythm of breaking out of those radio formatics. I think it's something a lot of people don't really know is it's just like There's certain things you do in radio that like radio people do because they need to do it, but like it's all in the interest of of, like you're basically convincing people to stick around past commercial breaks. Anyways, you and I have been very fortunate to have a chance to connect with um, a gentleman whose resume was a little overwhelming when uh, when he was introduced to us, but he is definitely the dude to help us get a better understanding of what the hell is going on in Argentina when it comes to winemaking, and how it's a lot more than Malbec.
1: Absolutely, and I'm very excited to be digging in with Joaquin Hidalgo. Um, so, because we recorded like this, everyone, you're going to get a little diddly-doo from me. do 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 do-do-do-do-do-do, you're listening to Tasting Together.
0: Well, Maroki, do, do, do. it's a brave new world. We're no longer bound by constraints of clocks and commercial
1: breaks. (laughs) And uh, constraints of demographics, too. I think more than ever, I am excited to explore wines (laughs) all over the world, speaking with experts all over the world, and talking about food and drink all over the world.
0: (laughs) We're off the chain now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> We've been set free. You know, <laughs> Be afraid, everyone, or be very excited. I'm
0: actually really excited about today's segment. And this is um, a, a paid segment. We, we are partnered with Wines of Argentina for this. But I love it when we get a chance to do segments like this. Because Argentina is one of those regions that I am personally a very big fan of. Especially when I'm dealing with people who are new to the world of wine. Because I know... A lot of people think that Argentina is synonymous with Malbec, and I know for a lot of people, like, when they kind of begin that wine journey, Malbec is a really easy thing to gravitate to because I, I find it's one of those bottles where when you pick up a bottle of, of Argentinian Malbec, whether it's you know an an, an eight or ten dollar entry level or t- or twenty dollar vintages bottle, you know when the back of the bottle talks about the big bold flavors, you know when you are trying to understand wine, it's really easy to just get it. Right? Like the wines always taste exactly like how they're described.
1: I mean, Katena like essentially dominated my parents' cellar growing up. So when I first forayed into wine and may have snuck a bottle or two off the shelves... That was one of the first ones. And I can tell you that my mother, who's not the most familiar with wine, I'm not trying to throw some shade at you, mother. Uh, she (laughs) would, you know, she would always just say without missing a beat, I love Argentinian wines. And I think one of the other things that's worth mentioning, you might have already, but like the incredible quality for the, uh, for the price. You know, you, one of the other things, if you are forwarding into wine, you're not quite ready to drop maybe 50, 100 bucks, 200 bucks on a bottle yet. This is a great way to experiment and taste, and I think I find that there's an opportunity for you know you to compare. Like it, the, a lot of these wines, their quality is comparable to the more famous regions. But or even, I think we're even,
0: even above th- even above that. Like if I can just just add, like I know a lot of people know uh, Argentina for Malbec, but anyone who follows me mm-hmm. on, on social media knows my affection for Chardonnay. Um, and one of my great inspirations, both with the ADX Wine Company and just as Captain Chardonnay, has been Paul Hobbs. And Paul Hobbs Californian wines go for a pretty penny. You're looking at a hundred dollars for the good stuff for his Chardonnay, but Vinya Cobos, his project in Argentina, offers some much more affordable high quality wines. And yes, they grow Chardonnay in Argentina.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I feel I feel like we're um jumping ahead of the game here because I think we have a really special guest <laughs> joining us who's probably going to be able to speak about this with much more eloquence than either of us will. We're um super thrilled to be welcoming Joaquin Hidalgo wine journalist and critic joining us from buenos aires who has been a writer for 22 years and if you look at his face you wouldn't know that because uh uh uh, joaquin you look very very dapper and uh, your focus is on writing about south american wines and i think you're going to bring a lot of expertise to this podcast so welcome joaquin
3: okay thanks for inviting me uh it's a pleasure to join you with this conversation Uh, I I mean, I think I look younger because I still have my hair, Uh, (laughs) but I'm I'm not very, (laughs) it used to be younger long ago, but it should be wine that it keeps me alive. Oh, I
1: like it. Well, they say aqua vitae.
3: (laughs) Aqua vitae, exactly, exactly. That's it. So thanks for inviting me.
1: Yes, for sure. Well, let's dial it all the way back to the beginning because I think um there's a really interesting history to Argentina and how it became a wine-growing and wine-loving nation. So do you want to share a little bit about that? Like let's talk about Argentine uh Argentine okay. wine's origin story.
3: Okay. Uh I will try to summarize it quite fast, uh, because this is a podcast, but we need a whole life to understand all details. Uh but Let's keep in mind that Argentina is in the other bottom of South. I mean, of America, we are in the in 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 the in the southernmost uh, part of South America, and uh, we are a country that was developed in in many ways by immigrants, uh, mainly from Spain and Italy. So, when it comes to your mind that uh, Argentina started in nineteenth century as uh, as an immigrant country you will understand perfectly that wine just brings, I mean, it came to Argentina by the immigrants uh, interest of, uh, of drinking. So if you just focused on, on Mendoza, for example, just for a while, which is the most important wine area in, in Argentina, Mendoza in, for example, 1850, it only has, you know, like three or four wineries, uh, but, uh, 60 years after, it was more than a thousand there working there. So immigrants bring the culture of wines, and they just bring up also the 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 grapes, you know, like Malbec or Cabernet or, or Chardonnay that you mentioned, André, a minute ago. So uh, just to summarize, uh, the western part of Argentina became, you know, like uh, the production zone and the eastern part of argentina with buenos aires as its uh, main city became the the market so for long for many years argentina just drink the wines that uh, it produced uh, and it took you know like at the end of the uh, 19th century oh uh, sorry 20th century it was 1991 or 1992 when the the wineries start exporting so before that, we drink all the wine that we produce. Um, after that, we just start uh, being well known abroad, specifically by Mal- with the, the Malbec grape, which was something quite unique in terms of, of, uh, of flavors in the world. Uh, but just in, in a raw and very uh, easy explanation, we are like an immigrant country that uh, we love wines because we have the, that root in our culture. So whenever you just walk up in a, a, in Argentina into a house for a meal or, or a dinner, whatever, there's going to be a bottle of wine there for sure. And if you are willing to, to you know, to gift someone with uh, something that you really appreciate, for sure it's going to be a bottle of wine, certainly. So we're, we're, uh, we are a wine country, we can call it like that.
0: You know what I find fascinating is you talk about being a nation of immigrants and the um the identity being brought and that love of wine being brought with the immigrants but when we think about you know the influence of the Spanish we don't really think about malbec which I think most yes, okay. most people would agree is Argentina's signature grape certainly at the at the entry level at what point did the identity and the and the wine identity of Argentina Become its own thing and become centered around some you know grapes like malbec and develop its own style
3: that's a beautiful question uh, and I will try to answer you um, if you keep in mind that uh, argentinian's first uh, immigrant countries were Spain and Italy there's no any famous grape from none of those countries in the in the you know in the cellar of argentinians uh malbec. It was just developed uh, by immigrants of any origin because it suits to our climate, specifically in Mendoza. It, it first appeared in, in 1853 when the, it was brought to Argentina by a French guy, which name was um, Miguel Amado Puget. We can't forget about his name. <laughs> uh, but he was the first guy who brings up with the French varietals to Argentina. And there was uh, a a long multiplying uh, history in terms of what producers do with those rookstocks. Because at the very beginning, uh, if you keep in mind that Malbec, it's a grape that suits with the sunny climates, which is not the origin that they have in in France. Uh, Producers just tend to, to grow it because it just developed beautiful wines with flavorful and colorful conditions so it was spread all in Mendoza uh, because its quality and not its origin actually it was called like the French grape back then and uh, just after uh, a long road into the 70s uh, it was not recognized as Malbec Uh, but finally the story just uh, brings up with with that beautiful name that actually nobody knows where it is originated because there's no any uh, synonym before uh, the 19th century about this grape called being called Malbec, you know? Uh, That's actually interesting.
0: It, so interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah I think yeah. actually what's so like lovely about you sharing that story and the idea of our Argentinians cultivating their own wine identity is also the story about how you know this this grape, and for those of you who don't know, um, if you ever see the the wine co, so that's like the French Malbec, quote unquote. That's where it originated from, and then it obviously was brought to Argentina. But not only seeing that, but how it transformed in the land that it grew. Yeah, that yeah. maybe this particular grape didn't have this identity, did not have these profile and these characteristics until it was grown in land like Argentina, and that's what makes it so incredibly unique. And yes. I think that's yeah. where that evolution comes from. And I think that's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, I agree. And
3: let, me, let me let me add just a line there because it's not only the climate, it's what producers preferred to do with it, you know, because they were choosing the best conditions uh, or the best Malbec and they reproduce it because uh, Cote, for example, that you mentioned, it's a clone of Malbec and it's a productive one. It produces a lot of grapes with the full color but flavorless. Uh, what producers do in Argentina was to to multiply the ones that they really like, the ones that were flavorful. Uh, and that's the beauty of it, because it was like um, a culture of wine developing, you know, like the, the most flavorful uh, reds in terms of what they really like. So today you have a unique condition, a flavor profile, like you mentioned, André, a minute ago. Uh, but finally, it was what producers and drinkers develop in 100 years that's that's the beauty of it and that's an identity for certainly
1: Absolutely. And Canada is actually one of the top exports for Argentine wine in the world. So can you like share with fellow Canadians? Cause I know you guys grow in a lot of amazing things in Argentina. Unfortunately, we can only bring such a small tidbit of that into yeah. Ontario, even though, even though we're, I think we're number five in the world for that Argentina uh, exports out to, but we speak, we spoke a lot about Malbec. But as André mentioned, there is Chardonnay, there's other varieties and other styles. So can you share with some of our listeners what kind of varieties and styles of wine that Argentina may produce outside of the famous Malbec?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I will not try to get very nerdy, but you have to think that Argentina, it's a very uh, long country and we have this and range in the western part of, of our country. So you have to think that whenever you drive for example 15 kilometers or 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 20 just going up in the mountains you will cross the whole the complete map of europe in in in, in 15 minutes you know uh, because you are you will just drive from uh, the southern part of spain in terms of climate to champagne for example in terms of temperature so you can you can grow whatever in in th- those conditions uh and uh, if you are looking for a specific profiles, like for example, I, I'm a very fan of lean and 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 refreshing Chardonnay from the upper part of Mendoza, like for example, Walter, Walter Dari, It's a very famous, well-known place in 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 Valladouco, Or another beauty wine it's Semijon, that it is, of course, uh, the opposite of what you will find in graffes in France, because it's a rich gray uh, wine. Or you can find some, for example, uh which is not going to be what you have in Tuscany. It's going to be, you know, like a more powerful and, and tannin-less wine. Uh, and of course, you have the, the, the French ones like uh, Cabernet Franc, which is in a trend today in Argentina, specifically <laughs> in, in, in very high uh, places uh, with cool climates. Like, I mean, those places are cool as Loire, for example, but as sunny as Jumilla in Spain, so those combinations of uh, dry climate and 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 very cool conditions in up in the mountains are reaching you know like um, like a new palette in terms of, of of taste. And let me tell you one last thing: if you're looking for a Cabernet Sauvignon in in about twenty bucks, you will find in Argentina beautiful wines uh, because we don't have like that. Um, uh, green uh, flavors. It's only about fruit. So Argentina can offer many things uh, besides Malbec. Uh, but we love Malbec anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to bring it back. Got to bring it back to Malbec. I'm actually really excited to hear about uh, Cabernet Franc rising in popularity. Yeah. I think it's such an... My under- favorite. Well, it's such an underrated grape. And, you know, we're starting to see it, it pop up in certain places. You know, I've, I've seen it in the Napa Valley. I'm not sure that's the right place for it because I find it loses a lot of its francness for yeah. lack of a better term, yeah. but like, you know, seeing more of it maybe popping up on the right bank in Bordeaux. Obviously we have it planted in Ontario is something that's super exciting. But um, you know, obviously when you're a country that exports wine, foreign markets can really, really influence what your wine growers plant, grow, make and the styles that they make it. Um but I'm always curious about anotherism. I love getting on a plane, doing with the locals. I actually you have shouldn't. it I actually have it on my bucket list. I come from Saskatchewan, which is a region well-known for grain, but also for its beef production. It is on my bucket list to go to Argentina and eat a cow. Bring some friends with me and do a proper asado, because it's my understanding that that's a big deal to you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So if this is me being an ignorant, not tourist yet, you can correct me. But I just no. want to know, like in Argentina... Guess, first off how important is is asado and barbecue and how do you drink your wines and is wine a part of that barbecue
3: okay let me tell you one one picture and you will perfectly understand I've just came from Spain last week uh, I spent there two weeks just working tasting wines and the first thing I did when I arrived to Argentina was going to the butcher buying you know uh, some beautiful uh, Piece of meat and uh, inviting my friends, my kids, and my wife just for an asado, which is not a barbecue. Uh, Okay. The main the main differences is is that we just eat the meat um, after cooking it in a very slow uh, temperature and in a very slow method. So what you find at the end is the the flavor of the meat without uh, being you know like uh, toasted. So you, you have all the juiciness and you have all the, the flavor of the meat. But what finally is all about uh, this asado is just getting together um, and bring all the wines up in the table and drinking. And of course, do what we do most in Argentina, which is cut. We speak a lot and we we just uh, argue with your friends and, <laughs> and, and, and we create, you know, like an atmosphere of, being a peaceful thing about eating, but it's all about just sharing. And the asado, it takes uh, you know like four hours or five hours when from the very beginning to the end. And the beauty of is of it is that in every step of it, you will just drinking some wine and sharing the meal and speak about whatever. Of course, politics, footballs, and religion, which is avoided <laughs> in Argentina, but we we do that in every 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 asado because it's what we like to discuss most.
0: You know, it sounds like I need I... I need an Argent an Argentinian best friend because that's exactly how I like to eat. Um you know I've been known to spend entire days smoking briskets. And yeah. uh I, I'm sure I can agree that Lionel Messi is the best soccer player that has uh that has ever lived. So or there can well, be some let, debate let on that.
3: You, let me tell you one thing. If you are in an asado, there's going to be half of the table saying that Maradona is the best and right. half of the asado saying that Messi is the best so in that argument and and that argue you will feel like in Argentina because you will feel at any time that both are the best but you have to be in one side you know that would be an asado <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm always here for a really good debate <laughs> over a bottle or a couple bottles of wines. Well, bringing it all the way back home. Um, Thanksgiving is coming around the corner. I don't know if you've yeah. ever experienced the Canadian or American Thanksgiving Joaquin, but for some people, it's a really big deal. Uh And I know, and it's funny because I feel like as I bring this up, I can he- hear, like, feel Andre cringing because talking about Turkey and wine pairings is something that he absolutely despises. <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's something I, I'm, that I. <laughs> but
0: but but I'm actually looking forward to talking to Joaquin about this because, like, the reason why I've stopped talking about wine in Turkey is, like, you know, you'll spend years, like, as a journalist, as a writer, as as a content creator, you know, obsessing over what the perfect wine to do with with Turkey is. But inevitably, like your Aunt Betty's gonna show up with a bottle of Argentinian Malbec, which is not something in earlier in my career I would say goes with turkey, but like if Aunt Betty likes Argentinian Malbec with turkey, fill your boots. Go go pick up a a, a whole bunch of it and do that with the turkey. Because if if Aunt Betty likes that, that's what she's gonna drink. It works. I
1: feel like we've also, uh, I feel like we've also, like, kind of just, like, really broken down how a turkey can be presented, yeah. or it's all, it's all its various, uh, sides, right? But from, <laughs> from stuffing and, and yeah, the you're, vegetables. You're, the softening mashed potatoes, but... you're
0: softening me. You're softening me, Meroki, on, on yes. wine and turkey. <laughs>
1: But, but I actually, so if I had a personal preference, I don't know if I would have reached for my back. I might have reached for like torrentes yep. to go with, um, you know, like the, the, uh, appetizers and cheese. And maybe like this is one thing we don't see a lot in Ontario is maybe some uh, rose from Argentina. But Joaquin, I want to throw that question to even, you.
0: Even an off dry like torrentes, like to, to pair with all the salt. Cause that's your main seasoning when you're dealing with turkey, like on the gravy and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes is, is salt yeah. and something a little bit off dry with, like good acid, even lower acid would still be a really nice, like match to that. It'll really bring out the fruit in a grape like that.
1: Yeah. So Joaquin, throwing it back to you, final question, Uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, uh, God knows whatever else. You can tell that I'm from an immigrant family and I only celebrated Thanksgiving (laughs) in the recent adult years of my life. What would you want to pair uh, as an Argentine wine with these dishes?
3: If I be there, I think that uh, for sure a high alt Chardonnay that would be my best choice because it's it's yes. sharp and it, it will have great acidity and it's smooth in a way. But if you are going to be more uh, you know like uh, more adventurous, uh, some torrentes that you mentioned uh, a minute ago will suit with that condition whenever they have uh, uh, they were harvested in, in in cooler climates which is not in the northern part of argentina where is most uh, the, the most cultivated and famous grape uh, i will look for those torontes in the uco valley which has this alsatian flavor and uh, it will it will deliver for sure in a in a in a dish like that uh, but of course there's a lot of wines like you mentioned Andre, a minute ago too uh, some uh, malbecs without those bold and ripe conditions uh, that you will find for sure in for example chakades in uco valley or in san pablo in the uco valley too uh, those threads are you know lean and sharpened with the uh, fruit forward conditions and uh, those will suit for sh- for sure with the uh, in a more uh, we can call it uh, French-style way. But, of course, it's the French-Argentinian style, which is <laughs> something absolutely unique.
0: Well, I guess maybe the other thing is, if we're looking to Morocco, you were talking about unpacking ways that we can deal with turkey. Have you ever cooked a, a turkey um, at Nasado? Uh,
3: no, never. I think that, that would be challenging, because turkey, it's... Um, it's uh, a non-fatty, uh, you know, uh, 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 bird. So I think that would be difficult. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that without a Canadian next to me because I need someone <laughs> to guide me. Uh, otherwise, I think I will spoil it up.
0: Okay, that sounds like an invitation. If I've ever heard one, I'll, I'll send that's, you an email, that's Joaquin. That's we'll set one. that up. <laughs>
3: yeah, We'll see what you in time. Argentina. Okay, maybe in Argentina or in Canada, we can we can yes. share a turkey, a barbecue turkey, or an asado one. Let's see what happens. What happens first?
0: Sounds great.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your expertise and sharing the love for Argentine wines with uh, all our listeners from Canada and beyond.
3: Okay, thank you very much for inviting me and let me show, uh, join with you in this conversation. And you're you're invited when you. Whenever you want to deal with the Argentinian Asari, you have to pick Maradona or Messi, but both are going to be in the same table. So I'm looking <laughs> forward <laughs> to share that table with you in, in, in the future. Yep. See you, guys.
0: Well, I hope you all found that informative and stimulating.
1: If nothing else, I think this is a really good reason for you to be picking up something other than Malbec. Not to knock Malbec. I love my Argentinian Malbec. But one of the things that I care a lot about when it comes to talking about wine is not pigeonholing regions into one variety, right? Like, I think a lot of us know New Zealand for Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. To the point where they grow the majority of, like, majority of New Zealand's production and what they grow. Is Sauvignon Blanc when they could grow beautiful things like Chardonnay and other varieties. We only Syrah, really know Australia Pinot Noir. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of Syrah, right? We only know Australia for Shiraz, Shiraz yeah. which is which you know again for any of our listeners who haven't heard to date Shiraz, Syrah, same thing, uh, same grape at least and. I think it's an opportunity for our various consumers and, and wine, the people who are wine carriers, to realize that when you're looking at a region, they don't just make one thing. They could make many other things. It's just a matter of limitations of what is brought to Ontario. Now, lucky you, I do know there's Argentinian Pinot Grigio, Argentine Cab Franc, Cab Sauve. Well, I mean, um, that there was. Or, there's a couple of Chardonnays. Yeah, there's a yeah, couple yeah, of that Chardonnays was, well, in our local stores. Yeah, and the. Um, there's some great Sémillon.
0: The. Um... The Argentinian Chardonnay from Viña Cobos Folino that usually comes in about twenty bucks is a perennial favorite in my house. Although the past couple of vintages there has been a dip in quality, but still well worth twenty bucks a bottle. But I, I really enjoyed you bringing up Torontes, and you I, know-
1: yeah, I really enjoy Torontes.
0: Well, and I know it's it's also one of those grapes that I think does kind of get overlooked similar to Riesling, where people write it off as like, oh, it's that, like, low-alcohol sweet thing that's really floral and perfumey, and it's just like... I didn't know that. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can... the, the Most of the Toronto that you find in the LCVO, you'll find it in the general list. You rarely find it in vintages. It doesn't roll through very often, so you're, you're generally dealing with mass-produced lower-alcohol, lower-sugar stuff, but, you know, we were talking about Thanksgiving, and, like, as you mentioned in the interview i am not the biggest fan of talking about wine and thanksgiving because people are going to drink whatever the hell they want at thanksgiving anyways but like a light bulb went off in my head at the thought of doing like an off dry torrentes or riesling with that whole thanksgiving spread because you're you know while you're dealing with some nice like mild herbs things like savory or sage and thyme like you're not dealing with culinary pyrotechnics like when you're cooking with cumin and onions and Sichuan peppercorn like Let's face it, like the, the Thanksgiving spread, which I know you have a soft spot in your heart for it. And I have a soft spot in my heart for it. It's not anything that's a challenge for your palate, but you're dealing with a lot of fats and salts. So when you have something that has nice acid and sugar to balance that out, those are the food pairings that really make me excited.
1: Mm-hmm. And I love that Joaquin actually mentioned... Um, Mentioned Chardonnay as well, because I did do Chardonnay one year, Ontario Chardonnay with Thanksgiving, because there was like something so lovely about the unctuousness, yep. that kind of like warm, ripe fruit of Chardonnay, a little bit of touching, you know, the the like in an Ontario wine specifically, but obviously high altitude Chardonnay could do the same thing, having the acidity to brighten things up. But then when it has a bit of that oak contact, um, just kind of give you a bit of like rich on rich mouthfeel as well. To talk about some non-Malbecs that are on promo at the LCBO right now, now there is the Creos Torrentes, and then there's the La Moscata Cabernet Sauvignon, and there's the Las Moras Pinot Grigio, um, that's promoted from now to October seventh. So just before Thanksgiving, along with um uh, a number of Malbecs as well. So I would say just walk along the shelves and take a peek and take advantage of the deal. And you could be Aunt Betty.
0: <laughs> that's really funny. So Uh, sticking with the wine world there's a story that kind of happened quietly um and this is hyper local to like Ontario and, and Toronto but it is an important thing to talk about because there are definitely problems in hospitality and wine just like there are problems in a lot of industries right now but in particular uh we have Norman Hardy Winery in Prince Edward County uh anyone who's around here should know and if you don't know please Google Norman Hardy in the Globe and Mail. But Norman Hardy was accused of sexual misconduct. Many women were interviewed by uh, Ivy Knight and Anne Hui. Um, And he basically admitted some of the behaviors. He was never charged or convicted, which I don't know why it's a sticking point when someone admits that they're a sexual piece of garbage uh, deviant. And... Have victimized women. I don't know why putting them in jail should be a benchmark for anything, but that's another thing. Uh, Recently, the Prince Edward County Chamber of Commerce announced a a round of awards that they had given out. Um, And the Norman Hardy Winery was uh, celebrated with a Business Excellence Award. And there was a backlash. There was a public backlash. There were a lot of business owners in Prince Edward County. Anyone who has been to the county, you're likely following some of them on uh, Instagram. You know, we've, we had him on the show in the past when we were on the radio station, Thierry uh, and Adega. His wine bar in the county are definitely worth following. And, um, you know, it, it did cause an, an, an uproar. The, I chamber, so. the Chamber of Commerce eventually backtracked a little bit and said, Dear Prince Edward County Chamber of Commerce and business community members, Norman Hardy Winery and Vineyard was nominated for a Business Excellence Award. The Board of Directors have considered the feedback and concerns it has received regarding this nomination based on this consideration. The board has decided that this nominee will not be considered for a business excellence award. Congratulations to all the 2023 nominees. We look forward to celebrating you with you and the entire Prince Edward County community on November 9th, 2023. Sincerely, Leslie Lavender, CEO of the Prince Edward County Chamber of Commerce. I mean, I, I got I- one of
1: those moments, right? Like, okay, I'm glad better late than never in some ways, but should we not know better to begin with why why poke the bear um in some ways right like it's yeah. very you know what the community response is you know the damage it would cause why even try and see if you could slide it through now to but there's be but, there, fair, but okay but here,
0: but, we, but here's <laughs> here's the thing sorry 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 to, to to interrupt though there is a growing movement and it's picking up steam and it is incredibly dangerous for what's happening in the industry of people who are quietly trying to have Norm at places. Norm is starting, and Norm's winery is starting to make appearances at various trade tastings, um, you know, being nominated for an award like this. There's a journalist, sing e. Langford, Langford um, who I have worked, worked alongside, been at tastings with, like this is someone who I, I considered a respectful journalist for a Prince Edward County publication that I'm not going to bother naming because it's not worth it who wrote what amounted to basically a puff piece about norman hardy in this magazine and when people reached out to the magazine asked them why they published the piece the response was basically the newspaper article i think the words were a sensational newspaper article written by the globe and mail I mean, yeah, they
1: basically quoted a few sources saying, oh, that, you know, there's been some sensational work or positive work written about him in different publications and that people um travel in droves to visit his winery in the summer. And as a result, he should be celebrated. And it completely glossed over the uh, I guess the it, it, it completely glossed over everyone's backlash about the whole reason why everyone knows why you would. "Quote unquote," and I say this in quotation marks. Everyone knows why you would want to promote Norman Hardy, but there's one very, very black and white reason why you don't. And and it was how the it was how the response completely omitted the elephant in the room and put blinders to the entire thing.
0: I agree with you completely. Um, and, and I mean, here's the thing: is I don't believe in cancel culture. I believe in consequence culture. The reality of the Norman Hardy Winery is when people speak out against them, they go out of their way to block them. And when the whole uproar arose about them winning the award from the Prince Edward County um, Chamber of Commerce, when the article came out that Signia wrote, um, they turned off commenting on their Instagram account. They are doing everything in their power to keep their image squeaky clean as opposed to owning up to what has happened and demonstrating remorse i'm sorry i think
1: it's the lack of redemption l- that really sticks it for me
0: I, i'm not i mean
1: outside of the fact that there were so many allegations against the point where it's not this is not even one accidental and i i say i say a lot of this in quotes because i don't think there's ever you know if you're at fault you're at fault but when you do it that many times it is clearly a premeditated act at this point. You yeah. know what you're doing. There's no way you could say, oh, I made a mistake. I pushed past the boundary I shouldn't have once. It is I pushed past someone's boundaries and exploited women again and again and again. And that does not sit well with me. On top of it, the lack of redemption, the lack of remorse.
0: Well, I mean, that's it. So like we know that Norm's, Norm's behavior was scumbag behavior. He had admitted that. I have no issue saying that. I'm not above forgiveness, although as you just said, It'd be very hard to imagine a, a scenario where someone can come back from something like that, although people are really trying because apparently his wines are really good. I mean, if, if that's your attitude, like like seriously, screw you. Like screw you if that's your attitude that someone who can victimize that many people over and over again and your excuses that the wines are still good or that he didn't go to jail. Like there's something wrong with you. Full stop.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that there's too much dang good wine around the world for you to get so hung up on one person who clearly um did a very very disgusting act right like it's it's one of those things we make a lot of our decisions all our purchasing decisions are governed by our own code of ethics, whether that be a code of ethics for the environment, buying sustainability, like buying sustainably, buying because something is women-owned, buying because we want to buy local versus buying, you know, or buying small-made versus mass-made. Um, social ethics and being, and I mean, frankly, like not even just ethics, whether someone has done something that is essentially criminal is worth taking into consideration, honestly, into your buying decisions. I think the thing that makes me the saddest though is when I started my Instagram and now, you know, I know uh, for those of you who don't know me, that's how I started my journey into wine in a more professional way. I've always been a wine enthusiast. I have been for well over a decade. I learned a lot of this on the back end, but as a consumer. But when I started doing public facing work, one of the things I started noticing with um, a fellow new wine enthusiasts who are just discovering, let's say, Prince Edward County and discovering wines, um, they were entering without knowing that all of this happened only a few years ago that's how much this story got erased that's how much the history got erased yep. and there were a lot of times where i think you know where i needed to i would see someone on my feed they would say oh i went and visited the county i went and did this um i visited norman hardy or i would say some you know see someone purchasing or writing about it and clearly doing it innocently And I would have to go and have that difficult conversation with them. And I know you've had too. And I think that's what makes it sad is how much has been erased in such a short period of time.
0: Yeah. So I guess not exactly a high point to end on. But like I said, if you're a big big (laughs) fan of Norman Hardy and you want to reach out to me to try to make that case at Andre Wine Reviews where you can find me
1: and you can find me at 9 ounces please um, the number 9 forward ounces forwards please on on basically just instagram i think this is actually one of the freedoms i think with having the podcast and you know people I, I this is one of the this is one of the things i want to close off this particular first podcast on is that for wine is a wonderful beverage that we all get a chance to enjoy and it's meant to be fun it's meant to be social but if we don't feel safe consuming wine or people who work in wine don't feel safe um, that's as equally important as just talking about tasting notes.
0: Yeah. Well, so, well, well said. Got- I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat at a Mario Batali restaurant. I don't know why it's any different for wine, right?
1: Exactly. So um, if you guys are here for the unchained version of Tasting Together where we're going to bring you not only the best eats and drinks of Toronto, but always being willing to get down and serious and talking about extremely topical matters and important matters about the state of the industry, we're going to be here every single week.
0: All right. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. That'll help us uh, get listened to. And thank you for taking the time to listening to Tasting Together.